Hi, welcome back to the Heresy is Good podcast. My name is Ted Lee Brown, and I'm a heretic. Now, I understand why the question, why didn't Jesus write a book, may sound disrespectful to some. My intention is not to be disrespectful of Jesus. My intention is to explore some of the orthodox assumptions made about him and his purposes by those who have always claimed to best represent him. The question is not disrespectful just because it happens to pop somebody's balloon. Somebody who should be much more worried about getting it right than being embarrassed about having gotten it wrong. The best thing about being a heretic is your brain isn't shackled by orthodoxy and you are free to freely think for yourself. So, why didn't Jesus write a book? In my last podcast on why evangelicals are stuck in a first century time loop, I discussed some of the confusion being experienced by Jesus' followers following his death. They were understandably confused about why Jesus hadn't fulfilled some of the old prophecies that predicted the coming of the Messiah that they believed him to be and were anxious about whether he would return to do so. They had been repeatedly told by people who they assumed would know, people like the Apostle Paul, that Jesus would return and establish God's kingdom on earth in their lifetime. And when Jesus didn't return, it understandably created a crisis of faith and much hardship for many. Their enemies and other believers now mocked and humiliated them for being deluded and living in a fantasy world. Their fellow Jews believed that Jesus' lack of fulfillment of the Jewish apocalyptic scriptures was all the scriptural proof necessary to condemn Jesus as a false messiah and his followers as fools which made Jesus' followers' efforts to convert their fellow Jews that much more difficult and hostile. It was a miserable time for those believers in Jesus who were at a complete loss to explain why Jesus hadn't returned as promised and left them holding the bag. Now, the question that has to be asked is, whose fault was that? Did Jesus not know that his prophesied second coming wasn't going to happen for at least 2,000 years? And if so, why not? Was Jesus as caught by surprise as everyone else who expected his imminent return? And if not, why mislead others about the timing? One of the possible answers to the question of why didn't Jesus write a book is that Jesus did believe that he would be right back and complete his reported mission in the lifetime of his immediate followers, making a book unnecessary, but unfortunately was wrong. If Jesus said all of what he was reported to have said in the Gospels on the subject, it is easy to understand why his followers drew the conclusions that they did about his return and their lifetime. Was Jesus mistaken or was he misrepresented? Inadvertently or not, 
by apocalyptic zealots hammering a square peg into a round hole and putting words into his mouth for their own purposes. If Jesus had written a book that detailed his story, his beliefs, his predictions for the future, there might have been a lot less confusion about him and his message over the last 2,000 years. And who knows what kind of suffering it may have saved humanity. But as things were left, we had nothing to refer to in writing until the first gospel was written over 40 years after Jesus' death. Of course, most evangelicals wouldn't agree with me that Jesus never wrote a book. They believe the entire Bible, word for word, is a divinely inspired transcript that God slash Jesus has miraculously provided them. They believe the New Testament picks up right where Jesus left off and view it as the holy handbook of salvation. It is the single most indispensable tool of their faith, absolutely essential to their spiritual development, and they believe that that is why God wrote it in the first place. Well, let's talk about that. Because the New Testament had a very sloppy rollout, to say the least. And I can't help but feel that if God was really involved as much as some people think, it would have definitely gone much better than it did. In the previous episode, I discussed some issues with the Book of Mark, but now plan on covering some new territory concerning its relationship to the other three Gospels. All 16 chapters of the Book of Mark are incorporated in two of the three Gospels that followed, the Book of Matthew and the Gospel according to Luke. Those three are referred to as the Synoptic Gospels because of their similarity. Both Matthew and Luke would change the Gospel according to Mark's original ending and include post-resurrection appearances by Jesus that weren't originally included in Mark, but were later added to Mark in the second century to make it more compatible with the Gospels that came after it. Remember, all four Gospels were written by unknown authors whom didn't witness the events on which they reported. The first was written 40 years after Jesus' death, the last three between 55 and 70 years after his death. You would think that if God was planning to put out a book on Jesus, that he would have preferred eyewitnessed, timely documentation of Jesus' words and activities for the historical record. If the Bible were created to play the role evangelicals claim it was, you would have thought said record would have been a higher priority from the very beginning. But instead, we get haphazardly put together hearsay accounts. Evangelicals see similarities in the gospel text as a form of confirmation of the authenticity of the text. They see it as the same story being told by multiple witnesses, each confirming the other and proof of God's involvement. When, in actuality, the similarities in many cases have much more to do with straight-out plagiarism than the Holy Spirit. The fact that Matthew and Luke copied Mark entirely before adding some original material 
would be considered a scandal in the present day. And where did this original material come from all of a sudden? Why wasn't it available to the author of Mark? Or why didn't he use it if it was? How is it that the authors of Matthew and Luke were so confident in the author of Mark's account of Jesus' story that they copied it word for word but decided to add a new ending? Did they think Mark told the absolute truth about everything but the ending? But the best gospel to demonstrate how most evangelicals have some wrong-headed notions about the Bible is the last one written and their personal favorite, the gospel according to John. Written 70 years after Jesus' death, it differs from its predecessors and undermines evangelical dogma about the gospels being a perfect historical record. Despite the fact that the Gospels of Mark, Matthew, and Luke were already in circulation, the author of John decided to make many changes to the established text in content and context. For example, the cleansing of the temple, the story of Jesus turning over the tables of the money changers and confronting the high priest at the temple in Jerusalem. In John, that event takes place at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. And the other three Gospels, the Synoptic Gospels, that event takes place at the end of Jesus' ministry. Jesus' ministry only lasts one year in the Synoptic Gospels, but three years in the book of John. Even the date of the crucifixion is different in John. In the Synoptics, Jesus was arrested prior to his crucifixion because of the uproar he created after cleansing the temple. In John, his arrest was set in motion by the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And these examples are just the beginning of some of the many discrepancies and contradictions to be found in John. I can't help but feel that if God had truly wrote the New Testament, that he would have done a much better job keeping Jesus' story straight. Can you believe that miraculous stories like Jesus turning water into wine and raising Lazarus from the dead were included in John, but not found in the Synoptic Gospels? How or why did the Synoptic Gospels not include those stories? And how did John not include the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord's Prayer, and all those stories of the exorcisms of demons. And why is it that a scripture that evangelicals consider one of the most important ever only appears in one gospel, John? The only scripture where Jesus refers to being born again is found in John, but in none of the other gospels. In John... Jesus very briefly discussed in a vague way what it is to be born again in a private conversation with the Pharisee Nicodemus. Jesus never mentioned or used the phrase born again when talking to crowds or his disciples, but yet it is the cornerstone of evangelical faith 
just the same. If it is as key of a scripture as they believe, why didn't Jesus emphasize it more, or God include it in the other three Gospels of the four? If we are to take all the stories in the New Testament as being true, then all the Gospels have always been incomplete at best. And let's remember, folks, the four Gospels weren't bound together in the New Testament like they are today. There wasn't a canonized New Testament for several hundred years after the Gospels were written. The Gospels were originally written to stand alone. There was no plan to put a Bible together. Various Gospels were written for various regions and audiences and were as limited as their authors, despite their best efforts. They, like us, were human beings, and evangelicals need to start accepting that and stop making them out to be something they weren't. Holy beings divinely channeling the Word of God, word for word. Countless Gospels were written, but only four made the cut to make it into the New Testament because they were the ones chosen by the members of the Church's Orthodox hierarchy. And the mere fact that it took 400 years to put a Bible together in the first place demonstrates that that hadn't been considered the Church's or God's highest priority despite what some evangelicals might believe today. But let's return to the Bible as evangelicals believe it to be, a preordained historical record. The differences between how Jesus is portrayed in the various Gospels couldn't be more stark. No two portraits are the same. It becomes clear that those who are painting him have never seen him and are painting four different men. Combined, they make Jesus appear erratic and unstable. In Mark, he beseeches his disciples to keep his divine identity a secret, and even forbids many of the people he heals from telling anything about him to anyone. Prior to his crucifixion, his apostles abandon him and Jesus breaks down and understandably expresses his agony and fear of the cross. In John, however, he openly discusses his divinity and publicly identifies himself as God incarnate. When the time comes, his apostles are at his side and he never sheds a tear or utters a doubt leading up to the crucifixion. So, to my evangelical friends, I say, both versions can't be true. And there are countless other examples of such contradictions. I'm not saying a damn thing about Jesus. I'm just saying the Bible was written and edited by human beings. If God had written the Bible, it would have put our very best writers to shame and bid 100% accurate and consistent, not a made-for-TV movie based on a true story 
with plot holes big enough to sail Noah's Ark through. The Bible is what it is. They did the best they could do, but did some harm in the process. When the New Testament was finally put together, it did not live a charmed life. It was only available in Latin, the language of the elites, the Orthodox hierarchy, whom in essence would hold the Bible hostage for over a thousand years by criminalizing translations and possession. The church alone had access to the scriptures, and the people were told what to believe. Scripture could only be understood and taught by men who dedicated their lives to serving and being obedient to the church. The idea that people would be running around with their own copies of the Bible was abhorrent to them. And many years later, when people finally tried, they would be proclaimed heretics, be tortured and murdered, by those who would claim to know Jesus and Scripture best, and who were gifted when it came to cherry-picking Scriptures to rationalize and justify doing so. During the Dark and Middle Ages, the Church was the most powerful institution in the Western world. But despite their exclusive access to Scripture, the Church became notoriously corrupt as represented by the practice of indulgences. Indulgences allowed people to buy forgiveness and absolution. And after you paid your tariff, the state was rendered powerless to prosecute you. And yes, the practice was a huge moneymaker, enriching the church and the people who carried it out. Even if the Bible is exactly what the evangelicals believe it to be, it did little, if anything, to purge the corruption and hypocrisy from those who believed they knew Jesus best because of their familiarity with his scriptures. And unfortunately, that too often is the case to this very day. The price that was paid just to get the Bible published in English was brutal and stretched out over hundreds of years. It began with John Wycliffe, who taught at Oxford from 1362 to 72. He bravely translated a Bible into English during his last months of life and died in 1384. In 1408, the Archbishop of York gathered the church hierarchy at Oxford to discredit and ban Wycliffe's Bible. A decree that no one be allowed to translate the Bible into English or any other language. The church hierarchy continued to hate Wycliffe so much that in 1428, 44 years after his death, Pope Martin V ordered the bones of Wycliffe be dug up and burned and his ashes thrown into a river. And many others were burned at the stake over the years for trying to carry on Wycliffe's work. If you're wondering why Pope Martin had Wycliffe's grave desecrated and his remains destroyed, it was done to keep Wycliffe from possibly being resurrected upon Jesus' return. The church believed 
you needed your remains to be intact for that to be able to happen. And they hated Wycliffe so much that they weren't even going to give Jesus a choice when it came to Wycliffe. The struggle for English translation continued on into the 16th century and the work of William Tyndale, who began teaching and translating scriptures into English, doing so in an extremely dangerous environment, as represented by a famous trial in 1517 in which five men and two women were charged with heresy and burned at the stake for teaching the Lord's Prayer to their children in English. Buoyed by the beginning of the Protestant Reformation, Tyndale fled for his life from England to continental Europe, where he wrote and published the first complete translation of the New Testament into English in 1526. Of course, ten years later, he'd be captured, tried for heresy, strangled, and his dead body burnt at the stake for all his trouble. But Tyndale was ultimately successful because his translations into English were plagiarized by those who followed him and would end up representing the vast majority of the text of the English Bible. Now, I'd like to ask my evangelical friends a few questions. Like, how and why do you suppose something like that happened? Are you aware of anything Jesus might have said that would justify torturing and murdering someone for translating text into English? Or parents for teaching their children the Lord's Prayer and their native tongue? How could church leaders with unbridled access and who devoted themselves to the study of Scripture have been so misguided, cruel, murderous, and wrong-headed with God's handbook in their hands. How did God's handiwork end up the hostage of such men for a thousand years? And why did God tolerate it if he wanted us all to have access to the word? The church wasn't teaching people about being a born again during that whole period. If you believe what you do about people having to be born again to get into heaven, wouldn't that mean all those people ended up in hell because they didn't have access to scripture that told them they needed to be born again? If God intervenes in human affairs to the degree you believe he does, choosing presidents, kings, popes, why wouldn't God have chosen popes who were zealous about getting the word out to the people? Was God not able to control the church and totally dependent upon feet on the ground, willing to be tortured and murdered by an autocratic, tyrannical church formed in his name to establish basic access to the scriptures? 1,500 years into Christianity, and that was the best we were able to do? What about the hundreds of years of sectarian warfare between Catholics and Protestants that followed after the people had access to Scripture. The Scriptures did not unite Christians. It divided them. One man's orthodoxy was another man's heresy. 
both sides became obsessed with completely eliminating each other and would have if they could, and did kill thousands upon thousands of their fellow Christians in the name of Jesus Christ. If Christians can be so divided by their holy scriptures, what's the rest of the world to think about the source of their faith? Do they have any reason to believe that the source isn't as innately dysfunctional as its followers? What we've come to know as the Bible was put together by an orthodox hierarchy of the church to establish an orthodoxy, a set of beliefs to be chiseled into stone and never changed. When Constantine became the emperor of Rome in the 4th century, he consolidated power by embracing the church and eliminating its competition. He and the church saw the diversity of Christian belief at the time as an existential threat that needed to be eliminated, and they did just that. More Christians were killed by Constantine and the church's purges than any other time in Roman history. There was only room for one emperor and one faith, a model and practice carried on by a long line of succession of popes. And after their time came, Protestants proved to be just as vulnerable to corruption, sectarian conflicts, and abuses as their predecessors. It's not about the faith. It's about the human condition. Interceding warfare exists in every faith, be they religious or secular. People have always been behaviorally and spiritually neurotic and dysfunctional. We are vulnerable to making the same mistakes over and over again and crave certainty when there is none, but are more than willing to make it up if we have to. Even if the evangelicals were right about the Bible, the Bible still couldn't prevent itself from being misrepresented and abused. You can't tell the difference between the good guys and the bad guys by who quotes scripture because they both do. It's interpretation often really revealing more about the interpreter than God. And some of those who supposedly know the most about scripture are the most perverse and evil of us all. Scripture has always been a two-edged sword capable of inflicting self-injury. Even the men who put the Bible together knew you couldn't trust everything you read about Jesus and what he was reported to have said and done. They rejected countless other Gospels full of stories about Jesus and his followers and chose four that best fit their criteria of establishing and maintaining in orthodoxy. They got to choose what they believed about what Jesus did or did not do or say. A big reason the three synoptic gospels made the cut is because they came off as consistent with each other, which was more the result of the authors of Matthew and Luke knowingly plagiarizing the whole of the book of Mark than an intervention and synchronization by the Holy Spirit. 
the last gospel written, the book of John, was included despite how it repeatedly contradicted the first three gospels because it was considered the best written from their theological perspective. They would choose what they chose and illegitimize the rest and then brutally eliminate the competition entirely before forcing everyone to believe their interpretation of their Bible sight unseen. And they ruled the Western Christian world for over a millennia. Were they wrong to not include all the Gospels ever written in the book we've come to know as the Bible? Of course not. Not only were there too many, many were of inferior quality, incoherent and inconsistent. Some were insightful and contained the same stories and quotes or variations thereof found in the Gospels that were included, but also stories and quotes of Jesus found nowhere else, and unlike the image of Jesus, they wanted to portray. Not knowing their sources, church leaders rejected them and their Gospels. Knowing what we know now, if we applied the same standard today, we might not have much of a Bible. Does that mean I believe that the Bible should be canceled? No, of course not. But it needs to be better understood in its historical context. It is what it is. A man-made book that inspired millions while creating some horrific man-made problems. Early church leaders feared the common man having access to the scriptures because they feared he would misinterpret and misrepresent the faith and disgrace Christianity through their ignorance and sinfulness. Turned out, some of those learned church leaders would beat them to the punch. The Bible is certainly not the cure-all that evangelicals try to make it out to be. On the other hand, there is nothing uglier than a mob of ignorant, self-righteous fools wielding Bibles like clubs, willfully ignorant of their lack of depth or qualifications. Especially when they join together and act out their self-proclaimed piety by persecuting others in the name of holier-than-thou. Some modern evangelicals can easily rationalize such behavior because they see themselves in opposition to a secular world deserving of such judgment. But in actuality, they've always been that way. When the secular world didn't exist, they went after each other throughout the history of Christianity over absurd issues, like if the Bible should be printed in English. You can bet the moment that some modern evangelicals didn't have the secular world to team up against, they would go back to their old ways and eat each other alive. They are a deeply spiritually deprived people, stuck in a first century time loop and unable to meet their 21st century spiritual needs. And they won't be able to do so until they integrate the Bible and their history for what it is. Modern Christians have 2,000 years of Christian history to draw and learn from. First century Christians didn't even have a Bible. Then why do some presently suffer 
from the romantic fantasy that they had some sort of superior knowledge back then because they lived closer to the time of Christ. They knew much less than we do. For example, they were planning their whole lives around the return of Christ in their lifetime. We know that that was never going to happen. As a result, they were living in an alternate reality and stayed there because no one, including Jesus and the Apostle Paul, ever prophesied or passed along the following words of wisdom. Quote, Relax, folks. It's going to be at least 2,000 years before Jesus returns. So unpack your bags and settle in for the long haul. It's time to get to work and help make this world a place Jesus would be proud to return to, even if it isn't for another 4,000 years. End quote. So, why didn't Jesus write a book? As I stated before, the cynic would reply, he believed in his own prophecies and thought he would be eminently establishing God's kingdom on earth and didn't bother. But he was obviously wrong. Well, if Jesus really did say some of the things he was quoted as saying about his imminent return in the Gospels, the cynic could be right. But like the early church leaders who put the scriptures together, I don't believe everything I read about what Jesus supposedly said. I'm particularly suspicious of scriptures defining Christ as an apocalyptic Messiah. I suspect that what Jesus did have to say on this subject was often manipulated or made up entirely, like some of the other gospels and scriptures rejected by the church. The first canonized gospel written, Mark, describes and hints at Jesus having what scholars refer to as a messianic secret. That secret being that Jesus knew he was not the apocalyptic Messiah they were anticipating, that he was a different kind of Messiah, but kept it to himself. I would argue that that might be the only thing that makes sense. If he was the apocalyptic Messiah, why not establish God's kingdom as advertised right then and there like everybody was anticipating. Why would he get his followers all worked up in anticipation with a sense of urgency, then suddenly walk away for at least 2,000 years without giving them as much as a heads up? Wouldn't he understand that that would break his followers' hearts and damage their faith in him? Think of all the torture, murder, and bloodshed over the last 20 centuries that would have never happened if he had established God's kingdom back then. What about all those people born over the last 20 centuries who, according to evangelical dogma, will burn in hell because they were not born again? They would have instead been born into God's kingdom and saved from hell. Why wait all that time while more people are going to hell than are being saved. Where is the compassion and justice in that? Many stick to the Jesus as the apocalyptic Messiah solely because first century scripture says that's who he has to be. As if he would be illegitimate otherwise. As if he hadn't done enough. 
Jesus did demonstrate awareness in Mark that he knew that that would be the case, but carried out his mission just the same, knowing he was being misunderstood and misrepresented, as he is to this very day. Even during his reported post-resurrection appearances, Jesus is portrayed as still pitching his imminent return and orders his disciples to spread out and spread the word, quick, for the kingdom of God is on hand. Nothing about 2,000 years. Nothing about putting a Bible together that his followers couldn't even imagine they would ever need. Nothing about the hundreds of generations that would be born before his return who would be totally dependent on said Bible. Of course, one of the best arguments for Jesus not writing a book may be the book they wrote and signed his name to. Look what's been done and justified by the Bible, despite it containing some of the very best of what Jesus had to say. His genuine words are transcendent and evidence of his spiritual superiority, but were somehow twisted into some of the most hateful actions man has ever taken against their fellow man. Even if Jesus wrote a book, he would have no control of how it would be used and abused or guarantee that it would fare any better than the Bible did. But the primary reason that Jesus didn't write a book is, despite what you've been told, he had no interest in establishing a new orthodoxy. Remember, he struggled against and sacrificed himself to destroy the old one. And that is the gospel according to Ted. My name is Teddy Lee Brown, and I am proud to be a heretic, and so should you. Please consider visiting our Heresy is Good page on Patreon and joining the Heretic Club. This week at heresyisgood.com, our Heretic Teen t-shirts will include John Wycliffe and William Tyndale. Until the next time, be the best heretics you can be.